Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary that org podcast coming your way. Episode 185, Frank McGrath. Steve Schmee here and the Moabsta joining me for another hardcore episode. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, this is a man with monster forearms and uh, very, very famous from a series of adverts that we're going to talk about in a little while. Uh, kind of funky. And then we're going we're, we're gonna to bring up some dark stuff as well. Let's get into it, man. So Frank, Frank McGrath... Um, Canadian professional bodybuilder. Those of you from north of the border definitely know who this guy is. Became popular in the early 2000s, known for his sheer size, incredible vascularity. He's had to overcome injuries, car crashes, making his way back. His stats at his peak, 5'11", 255 pounds in season and 300 pounds in the off season. And his waist, a trim, 28, uh, 28 inches. So we're, we're going to talk about all the good stuff in this article, as we always do. We're going to talk about his life. We're going to talk about his childhood. We're going to talk about how successful he's been in bodybuilding. We're going to talk about his steroid cycle, of course. And then we're going to talk about some new information recently that we learned about his kidney issues. Yeah. So first, let's talk about his early years. Uh, born in 1978 in Newfoundland. Canada, close to where you're at, Moms, there across the pond. Where, <laughs> yeah. your ancestors, your ancestors traveled across the ocean and landed there. And, um, you know, that's a really cool part of Canada. If you're into, you know, if you're into a nice, quiet living, you know, near, near the ocean and if you're into the, the forest and stuff like that. So, huh? Gorgeous scenery, man. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I like I like that. I like um, that kind of uh, that kind of living. It's kind of like Maine in the United States. Um, so yeah. he grew up very skinny, very skinny guy. A lot of these bodybuilders, it's interesting to learn about them when they were younger. A lot of them were ectomorphs when they were younger, very skinny and not good at sports. But here's the thing with him: he idolized superhero movies. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. So growing up as a really young guy in the 80s and seeing Arnold movies, that kind of piqued his interest a little bit. And then he hit the weight room hard, started to get results quicker than his peers. So how many times have we seen this mobster? Skinny ass guys. I'll bring you in. Yeah. Yeah. Skinny ass guys. I was the same way. They start lifting weights and boom, they start getting results quickly within within a month. And then they're, they're on their way from there. Two, two things right here. The, the ectomorphic thing, I think, is probably true of the frame size rather than the overall ectomorphic type genetics. So what you get, I mean, Flex Wheel is a great example of this. They're, they're not ectomorphic when it comes to uh, genetic muscle response. What they are ectomorphic is the frame size, the, the size of your elbow joint, your wrist joint, your knee joint, your ankle joint, guys, essentially. So for Flex Wheel being the example I mentioned, you had any muscle to so that small frame and it balloons, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a 23 or 24 inch arm, 
to look massive because of the small joints. So that's pretty cool. Steve's, Steve's kind of jumped where to his own going to the hitting the weight room and, and getting this response. What I did find interesting in doing the uh, show research was how he started training around the house. So for example, Steve, they had no gym equipment, no weights, no, no bench, no nothing at the house. And he started to get into, as you said, from the superhero stuff, being inspired to, to work out. And he talks about hanging off the door frame with his fingertips. I think I did crazy stuff like that, doing press-ups around the house, uh, picking up things in the garden, picking up rocks in the garden, moving tree trunks around in the garden. And I think one of the things he says, they were, they were trying to pick up the back of their dad's pickup truck. So it was this idea that they may do. I don't know about you. That was kind of my thing. I think I remember one, um, I was doing something ridiculous. I get my brothers to count how many crunches I could do. And one night, because it was pretty much all I was doing, I worked up to 267 crunches in a row. I was doing no other kind of training. So I had a four pack then and, and, and the ectomorphic frame of the skinny, uh, lean, very lean in those days. And then another thing, I think, I think for some bizarre reason, we had a, a free headed shoehorn of the kind of thing that a cobbler would use when they're repairing shoes or whatever. And it weighed about eight pounds, seven pounds or something. So I would take to curling that and doing these crunches. And, and then, as he said, doing a fingertip, you know, there was not, not even one of those doorway chilling bars just hanging off the frame. And that was literally all, all I was doing in the house. If I if I got to school, I think I was just about leaving school around the time I, I got into training. So I had a few months at school and then just doing stuff around the house. And Frank's story prior to hitting the gym was exactly the same. What was available is what we used. Was there a rubber band? Did we have chest expanders? You know, could we persuade our parents to, to get, you know, some weights for us? What about you, Steve? What was your start? Did you go to visit the high school gym or did you start with doing stuff around the house before you got into weights? So a uh, sim similar story. Uh, I had weights in my garage covered with spider webs. I went to grab the weight and I got bit by a spider. That was my first experience. So then I started using wow. them. I started watching, um, I would watch movies. That's like a line from a movie. <laughs> well, I started watching so, movies and uh, I would take the weights into the into the room, right? And I started watching movies in front of a little TV. Back in those days, you know, of course we had VCRs. So I watched movies on VCRs, like action movies to pump me up. And then I would I'd work out while the movie was on, kind of for motivation. And that's kind of how I how I got into yeah. it. So everybody has a motivational story. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky one, Rocky one with the, all, all the Rocky training montages. Anything I didn't have, have any of the Rocky was... movies. Um, in, in, believe it or not, I hadn't even, I, I hadn't had any Rocky movies. So I watched, I watched, you know, like battle movies, like movies with battles yeah. and stuff, you know, just motivational movies. So that was how, uh, that was how I did it for sure. So everyone has I'm a story like that. Yeah. Something else he mentions here, which I, it reminds me, funny enough, of Dorian Yates, and not enough bodybuilders do this. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll do the line. Essentially, says he spent his spare time learning about nutrition and wanted to be Arnold the next, you know, the next Arnold one day. And the thing that was interesting here is, as a lot of top bodybuilders genetically blessed, that almost get kind of big by accident, not because they've got sat down and studied nutrition, not because they've gone out and brought books to work out, you know, what to do. And Dorian's one of those guys that talks about stuff like that. So I kind of like this about Frank in that, you know, once he hit the weight room, once he was inspired to, to, to gain and, and, and did gain genetically because he was blessed quicker than his peers, he's, he's sitting down and studying nutrition and working out what's good for him. How many people do we know? And we could talk about guys on the forums that do this. It's almost like they, they've learned, I mean, especially because it doesn't get taught at school as much as it used to. 
they know next to nothing about nutrition. And there's kind of no excuse, guys. If Frank went out and brought a book. You could do the same. There's a million videos on the internet. We try to advise you. There's articles on our forums. It's almost, there's no point training unless you are gifted genetically by the gods if your nutrition's not on point. And I like the fact that he went out and studied nutrition because with his genetics, that's just going to make him a whole level above everybody else all over again with his getting great nutrition at the same time, Steve. Yeah, back to you. All right. So let's kind of get into uh, his early competition. So as you know, Mobster, Newfoundland, they love bodybuilding. Mm. So even though they don't have a lot of people, they have a lot of people that come out of there who are really good bodybuilders. So he was able to find some early competitions he could compete in. He dominated his peers in the amateur competitions. That led him to move up to the Canadian Championship Super Heavyweight category. First time entering, he got sixth place, which was very disappointing to him. But the next year, 2003, he got first place. And that's when he became a professional. So his initial professional stint was very brief. He got a disappointing 12th at the Toronto Pro Invitational in 2004. So although he was not successful in bodybuilding, I, you know, I wouldn't call his career a success, he was making a name for himself online. So he did most of his damage as an online social media bodybuilder. He gained supplement sponsors, Animal Brand, which is owned by Universal, Nation, Universal Nutrition. He started to get featured on magazine covers, Sports Illustrated, Flex, and Men's House. So he, he hit it out of the park when it came to publicity. Yes. This is a thing. I'm going to jump back in here, Steve. I think if, uh, those of you who are a fan of bodybuilding photography will be familiar with uh, Russ Warner and others, uh, black and white photographs of Arnold in, in Gold Gym and whatever else, and they are, they've become iconic. In fact, they'll always be spoiled if they was in colour because they caught the atmosphere. And what Frank and a couple of other athletes at the same time kind of was able to do, that when they, they wasn't, in Frank's case, making as big of a name as he would, we would have hoped for Frank, on stage as a competitive bodybuilder but in terms of the black and white photography that was used by animal uh, universal for promoting the products that they were selling was a series of uh, very simplistic mostly black page with a few words on it and a single iconic black and white photograph so you've got one with, that looks like a 280 pound bodybuilder and he's walking into the squat rack and the place looks dirty and grubby there's light coming in through the window. I think there was a couple with Frank where he looks like he's in some, I mean, I'll be crude here, kind of like some New York shithole, this tiny little apartment. There's pills, supplement bottles, et cetera, all over the place. He's on this, looks like a single bed. There's a, a really nice looking girl sitting on the bed, but he's kind of like, I've got, I'm going to the gym vibe. And, and what it was, is it, it was as motivational, uh, living the life, getting this shit done, getting down the gym, doing the grind and smashing the weights as it was, you know, anything else that you could be doing in life. And it was all in this single photograph. And I said, it was him and the bike, two other bodybuilders uh, that, that they became kind of famous adverts. They were iconic, the black and white pictures. And Frank was one of those stars. And as Steve said, that meant he was known more for the adverts and more at that beginning of social media at that time, for these kind of photographs than he was 
as a competitive bodybuilder. We knew of him through the magazines, but I don't remember thinking about him in any lineup, Steve, or what titles he'd won or whatever else. But I do remember those adverts. For, for some reason, they 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 were the, of the moment, the zeitgeist. They were there and they caught you. They were kind of like you saying about the inspirational stuff earlier on, right? So you would cut out this advert and you'd pin it up on the wall. Again, like Rocky, you know, with his with his uh, the person he's going to fight, pin sellotape to the mirror. And that's what this stuff was like. It was grubby mirrors, grubby floors, a messed up bed. Nothing was talking about social media now, Steve. Nothing was beautiful. Nothing was posed. You didn't get this impression, you know, there's people in bed and they're wrapped up in fur coats and there's flowers everywhere and, and a servant's bringing something gorgeous in. Or as you said, you know, when they're in a car and they get models to pose with them for the day. This was the opposite. It was grubby, it was horrible, it was dirty, but you had this freakish bodybuilder in there. So I thought that was really, really cool adverts for the time. Did uh, obviously animal the, the world of good because those containers of vitamins, which are nothing really that special, sold by the truckload. So yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much all they had at the time, Steve. I don't think they had it. If they had, I think, like three or four products in the line, that was it. And what they sold by the lorry load, literally GNC and, and all the other places, was these, these, these tubs of vitamins. There was very They've got more products now, two, three times as many products now as they had at the time. So this stuff, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. You are These adverts and all you're selling is vitamins. You're not selling steroids or psalms or pro-hormones or anything, not protein powder, no pre-workouts. It's just a tub of vitamins, and yet they sold by the truckload because of his adverts. Yeah, back to you. So let's get into, you know, some of his other things that he got. Let's see, he went to the Arnold Classic in 2008, preparing to compete, but he tore his tricep in the gym ahead of it. Early 2010, another disaster. He was T-boned in a car accident, spent a month in the hospital, lost three liters of blood. His lung collapsed. He damaged his shoulder, he lost his spleen, and his arm had to be stitched together. The doctor said he would never be able to bodybuild again. He was eager to, to, eager to prove his naysayers wrong, and he worked even harder once he was healthy. The next year, he got third place at the 2011 IFBB Tampa Bay Pro Open, fourth in the Toronto Pro, and 16th at the Mr. Olympia. That's, that was an amazing comeback. He also yeah, got yeah, third. It's scars. I've seen the scars. He's got a, a scar on his abdomen, and he's got one on the inside of one of his uh, arms on yep. the inside of the elbow. But yeah, so he actually that. came back stronger than before. He got third at yeah. the IFBB Pro Bodybuilding Weekly Championships in 2011, fourth at the 2013 Toronto Pro Super Show, sixth at the IFBB for No Legacy. He then retired from bodybuilding in 2018. He didn't have a huge contest record. But really, that year, really, he came back from from that car accident. That was his, some you know, cementing himself, and he was really yeah. able to get popular, especially among the Canadian crowd. Uh, they love their bodybuilders up there, and also his, you know, his personality and social media, and uh, just he was very good at marketing himself on social media. So he then he left California, where he had been spending his time in bodybuilding moved back to his native Canada, and he moved on from promoting the animal brand after 15 years of the face of the products. So let's get a little bit into his kidney issues. So really one of the reasons the doctors told him, hey, you're never going to bodybuild again after his accident is because he apparently has been born with one kidney. 
So it was revealed in early 22 that Frank was on a dialysis. So the reason he's been losing a lot of weight over the last few months, and he was born with one kidney, and he's going to need a transplant in the near future, or he may yeah. pass away. So, and this is some of the things I looked, I looked into this a little bit. So I actually know people with one kidney and one in 1000 people are born with one kidney. So it's not that rare. One in 1000 is not that rare to, to have. So if it was one in 100, it was one, it'd be 1%. It's one in 1000, it's 0.1%. So if you look at how many people are around the world, we're talking billions of people, 7 billion people in the world. And if 1.1% of 7 billion, that's a big number that you're going to come up with. And then if you take people in Canada, let's say Canada has about 40 million people, mobster, you take 0.1% of, of 40 million, what, what do you get? In his case, 400. But as you said, it's not, so it's not unusual or genetically rare. It doesn't make him an absolute freak, but certainly enough. And this is the thing that Steve and I discussed on the, the, the pre-show, right? So here's the thing, guys, and especially when it comes to PEDs, and for that matter, doing the stuff that we do in the gym and wanting to be a top-level athlete, and, of course, on top of the injuries and everything else that he's had to overcome, successfully, one might add. So the situation here is thus. If we're trying to help you guys with the kind of advice that we hand out in the forums, which is, you know, we're, we, you know, we're not saying don't take PEDs, but we tell you when, what time, you know, what age we want you to do. We don't encourage three, four, five grams a week or anything like that. We, we're all about responsible use. We understand that athletes like Frank are genetically blessed, but also that they need to be driven. And in being driven, obsessive, whatever you want to call it, in order to become a top-level athlete, and that's a very small percentage in and of itself, Steve, as you say, 0.1% sometimes less one in a million so 0.1 point 0.01 you're talking about um people that are going to push the envelope now being born with one kidney there's an argument which i mentioned to steve in a pre-show people with one lung one arm whatever uh the 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 remaining organ body part whatever what have you will grow sometimes to compensate. So he might have had, for example, one, one kidney, but the kidney that was there was to be larger to perhaps take up the slack, especially in his, his growth years, in his formative years as a young man before he, became, before he got into professional building, before he got into PEDs. But arguably, what we're also talking about here, guys, with sensible advice, et cetera, is potentially, and has proven by the simple fact that he's on dialysis and requires a transplant, that he's fucked the kidney that he's got so he hasn't got a spare it's not like he can donate the spare to someone else that's not what happened he, he requires a donation and he requires a donation because the one this is what we're saying the one in our opinion the one kidney he's got has ultimately become damaged has it become damaged this is a question and i would like to know you know if frank ever wants to respond that would be great has it become damaged? Because even if he used a moderate amount for a professional bodybuilder of performance-enhancing drugs, has it become damaged because of that? Has it become damaged because of the stress that we put our, our systems in just from the nutrition, 
the stress that we put our systems in just from the professional level of training. I mean, just the processing of the byproducts of the waste products from training in itself, Steve, or the excess of protein that we talk about. In a normal situation for the normal person, these things aren't the great issue that medical people tell us they are. But has that not, is that maybe less of an argument when you've only got the one kidney, Steve? So there's the thing, right? You have to question that. And I don't know what levels we guess when we talk about these things. As we say at the end of the podcast, it's based on their experience. And it's kind of guesswork. So we could say what levels of performance enhancing drugs, what levels of protein, how much stress was he putting on his body simply but by training like a professional bodybuilder. And that can include comp competition diet, Steve. We know that sometimes that the you're the least healthy that you can be in terms of how you feel and how you're processing food and the issues for stress and aggravation when you are at your most ripped, when you're in your most condition, when you're on stage. In order to be two, three, four, five percent, you need to be kind of unhealthy. You need to feel drunk, thirsty. You need to feel dry. You need to be dehydrated and all those kind of things. And again, all those, those are stresses on the body, people. They are. What do you think, Steve? Well, in his case, um, you know, I, I had this talk with Mobster on the pre-show. There's people out there with one kidney. You also have people out there who have one functioning kidney. So you're talking one in 1,000 with one kidney and another one in 1,000 who only have one functioning kidney. So unless you've had this check to see how many kidneys you have, you may be sitting right now with one yeah. kidney or one functioning kidney. You don't know. And here's the thing. Most people who are in either scenario, they don't even know this their entire life and they'll never know. And they live perfectly healthy lives. So it's really a situation where <clears throat> something happened where they found that he only had one kidney at some point. Mm -hmm. Like, Mobster, have you, even, have you ever checked your kidneys to, know, to see how many you have? No, right? I haven't. Uh, I could have one uh, kidney. You could have one kidney. We could have one functioning kidney. We don't know. So that's really interesting to see this. And I wonder, looking at blood work over the years... The way we as bodybuilders, I'll, I'll let you come in, mobster, but the way yeah, we yeah, as yeah. bodybuilder abuse our bodies just by being so muscular and big, mm. that itself is putting a stress on our kidneys. I know with me, for the past 20 years, when I get blood work done, even before I was using anabolic steroids, just being a big dude for my height, yeah. my kidney values have always been high. So just weight training and breaking down muscle and repairing muscle yeah. and being big and walking around with a lot of muscle mass is putting pressure on your kidneys. Add to that the high protein diets that we consume. Add to yeah. that the anabolic steroids that we take. Add to that the ancillaries that we take. Add to that the supplements that we take. All the shit comes in our body and our kidneys have to flush that shit, right? So that puts additional pressure on our kidney. So whether you're in the bodybuilding lifestyle or rather you're just a typical North American, Canadian or American who's just obese and overweight, you're putting pressure on your kidney. So it works both ways. You can criticize him for trashing his kidneys, even though he knew he had one kidney, or you could trash the many other millions of Americans and Canadians out there and people all over the world 
who have the excess, I know it's the same way, it's becoming the same way in Britain, who have the excess need of, oh, I have all this food, I can just eat and go out to restaurants, you know, two, three times a night and just not give a shit about what I'm putting in my body. And that's that's the reality of it, guys. Every time you go out to a restaurant to eat, you're putting pressure on your organs. Every time you go and eat fast food, you're putting pressure on your organs. You know, so this all this all has a domino effect. So we can't hammer him for leading a bodybuilding lifestyle without hammering them as well. So to me, I'll hammer both sides. I'll hammer those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll hammer him because. Even if you have two functioning kidneys, you should take care of your two functioning kidneys. Whether you have one or two, it doesn't matter in my mind. You should still do a better job. And we all have to. I have to do a better job. Mobster, you have to do a better job. Everyone listening to this has to do a better job as well. So we'll have to see in his situation. But obviously, the situation looks dire. If he's at the point where he actually needs a kidney transplant, his situation is very dire. And the morality of it is is a debate that we can have. Should he have to stand in the back of the line to wait for the kidney? Because there's a 10-year-old boy out there through no fault of his own who needs a kidney. Or should he have just as much an opportunity as that 10-year-old boy to get the kidney, even though he's abused steroids and led a bodybuilding lifestyle? And we all know a high-protein diet hammers the kidneys that's just the fact you can argue it all you want so that's a morality issue of a debate and i'm not i'm not enough of an expert on how kidney transplants work to really have too much of an opinion on it but i would more side with a 10 year old boy i think if you had one kidney and you had a choice between a bodybuilder who's been using steroids and all this stuff and a 10 year old boy I would, I would definitely think the 10 year old boy should hold precedence, but like I said, it's not, it's not my decision to make. So I'm sure what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, because you took a different tangent, for example, and I agree with you hundred percent what you just said. There is no real difference between him perhaps having a really healthy lifestyle, but perhaps using more protein than normal and using performance hubs and drugs and stressing his kidney. Then there is someone else. And we have this on the forum guys. We have this on the forum all the time. Someone will come on and say, oh, I'm doing this cycle, Psalms or, or, or steroids. How often a week can I drink? And you go, OK, listen, right. If you're having one shot or one beer, maybe you have two beers, three beers a week. Fine. But what you know that these guys are doing is they're looking for an excuse. So you go, really, what we're looking at is guys that want to smoke, guys that want to party, guys that want to have a beer every fucking night. Guys that only want to get drunk at weekends and they're taking kidney and organ stressing performance enhancing drugs. And obviously, guys, obviously, it 100%, you know what the fucking answer is going to be. You, you might be able to get away with it, but don't ask for our fucking permission. Just don't. Don't think you can do this shit all the time, long term. Frank's been training for, I'm going to say, 20 plus years, Steve. So it's taken him that, that length of time to get to where he is. And again, he's a genetically blessed individual. Uh, and, and he might not have done crazy amounts of drugs. He might not have done crazy amounts of protein or whatever else. But he still ended up in a situation that requires dialysis 
and the transplant, right? So the same thing would apply. If we knew some Joe, and you mentioned, you say you know people that have got one kidney. If we knew someone, right, with one kidney, and you knew that they were doing shots every night, you knew that they were down at the bar three times a week, you knew that this guy was that or woman was absolutely pounding it at weekends. You knew that you'd, you'd seen him, you'd been to a party and you'd seen them doing recreational drugs, right? You go, you've got one fucking kidney, what the fuck are you doing? You're rolling the dice. And I've mentioned that in, in previous podcasts. You're rolling the dice. A person in a situation, and it doesn't have to be frank, it can be anybody, but a person in a situation that's got one kidney is arguably taking some time off the end of how long they would live because you're, you're putting yourself in a stressful situation. Now, none of us are genetically perfect we don't all have exactly the right size lungs or perfect liver perfect kidneys all this kind of stuff there's bound to be something to matter with us and again it's especially true the older you get they're going to be simple wear and tear i've got wear and tear on my body for doing the stuff that i do and steve is exactly right no one we know is 100 perfect in every single thing that they do and stresses on their body whether it's fretting and worrying about stuff you don't need to worry about whether it's being around people that smoke, even if you don't smoke yourself, whether it's taking too much over-the-counter drugs for pain medication, some of which can fuck you up as well, Steve. We talked about this before. Uh, uh, the ibuprofen, uh, um, Advil, uh, pounding the hell out of your stomach. Too much aspirin pounds the hell out of you. You know, and so you could get into all that kind of stuff, but then we come down to what we're supposed to advise you to do and the, and the information that we try to put out and... Ultimately, we wouldn't be, we are not on Evo, I think, as a group, moderators, writing the articles, whatever, we're not going to say this is an ideal situation. Absolutely not. So 100% stays correct. If, if, if you're out there eating nothing but cream cakes all day long and nothing but crisp and nothing but fries from McDonald's or whatever, and you're hoping for a healthy lifestyle, it's not going to happen. And if you've got one kidney, you're a fucking idiot. Equally, if you're an athlete, a genetically blessed athlete like Frank, the argument could be made that you perhaps have rolled the dice and pushed your luck. And it has to be made because he is in that situation where he does require dialysis and he will require a kidney transplant. You can't get away from that. I like Frank. I like how he comes across online. I loved how he was in those adverts. Uh, his forearms are something else. You know, I'm, I'm admiring him for his forearms. I admire him for his physique. I love how he says he's actually kind of a nice guy, even though a lot of the photographs have him with this kind of stony, straight face. When you see him online, he's actually goofing around. He's only got the straight face for the camera. Comes across really well. He looks like he'd be a really cool guy to train with, Steve. But if you was his buddy, you'd be like, dude, really? Come on now. So that's what you've done. And especially as a friend, you'd be doing it. Not to be an arsehole, especially as a friend, you'd be like, so remind me, Frank, how much would you do it? Should you have been doing that? And that's the question. It's going to come up, and we've got to address it, and so we've addressed it. Let's move on, Steve. Let's talk about his nutrition and his training. Yep. We first got to talk about his social media a little bit, too. He's got 600,000 okay. followers and growing. And um, he's currently promoting HD muscle, wrath, and iron bull strength. Yeah. So – um, he's done a lot of YouTube videos as well. He's collaborated with other Utah YouTubers. Tristan Lee yeah. is a big YouTuber in Canada. One of your, you know, one of your guys, uh, mobster over there in the British Empire. I don't know if you know the I've guy. Seen the video. It's a good video. 
Yep. And uh, so he does a lot of videos. He's, he's all over, obviously. He's very, like I said, very good in marketing. And I'm sure he makes some good, good cash doing the, uh, do promoting these, these brands. So, so he's a good guy. He seems like a good guy. Uh, definitely. So hopefully he can um, get his kidney transplant at some point and be able to live a long life. But um, obviously he's not going to be able to use anabolic steroids. So mobster touched on that and then get into his training and then I'll talk about his nutrition. Right. So I've watched the video in question and it's kind of cool. You've got this little Chinese American guy. He's kind of tiny really, but he's very, very lean. And it comes across really well in the videos. And, and he does this collaboration video with Frank. And they train uh, biceps, triceps. And at the end, they even do a little bit of forearms. And Frank said, which is kind of a line that amused me, he said he, he must have been a, what we call a hyper-responder. So as Steve said, he, you know, he, he, he was making gains ahead of his school chums. He was uh, adding muscle real, real quick. And one of the things he said he used to do is he would deliberately train his forearms before going to school, Steve. He was doing the freak factor. Can you? I, I remember when I first started training in a place that had weights, like a proper gym. I say proper gym, kind of proper gym, not at, not at school, but in in the local sports center, wherever. And there was a guy there that I was introduced to by a local powerlifter, and he had he had um, he was hyper uh, hyper what do they call it? hyper jointed. He could do like things like hold double overhand broomstick in front, and then pull it above his head, and then kind of semi dislocate his shoulders so he could go down and touch his ass. That was fucked up, and then. The powerlifter says to him, drop your trousers, drop your trousers. So he drops his baggies or whatever the fuck he's wearing. And he had these balloon fires and, he, and they're all covered with veins. Frank's like that. And then here's what he's done, guys, is he's pumped his forearms up. These freaky things that hang off like fucking Popeye's forearms, covered in veins, and then gone to school, Steve, to freak out the girls, to freak out the guys, to stand out, to be like a kind of punk with muscle. You know what I mean? So it's kind of fucked up like that. On this particular video, they both get a pump on. They're not doing anything crazy, super, super strict training, which is kind of cool. So they're showing you how to do stuff properly. One of the things that they did, which I liked and it stuck in my mind, was they're using a preacher curl bicep curl machine. And then because there's different handles on it, they realized that if they kind of turned around and got on the other side, the resistance would be on your triceps. So they could tuck their heads right, right low down, get it onto the, the to pads, and then do a tricep overhead tricep extension using this machine. So they were showing not necessarily the gym owners would recommend this kind of behavior, but at the same time, they knew exactly what they were doing. And they both got a nice pump on. And there's a great little bit of the video, the one that you've referred to, where they're kind of pulling at the really thin skin on their forearms and on their biceps. They're both popping veins. Frank is, of course, on another level uh, compared to Tristan, but nevertheless, it's 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 very nice to see, nicely done. Not too much bullshit, not too much fluffing around. And again, as I said, you get to see that Frank with his normally straight face with his adverts and the photographs and the posing, you never see him smiling that stuff. And yet when he's doing social media, he opens up. And it's a real guy. He talks about the school type training that I mentioned before. He talks about doing the training around the house on this video. And so you're getting to see a bit of what's, what makes him the bodybuilder. And this, I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I like the fact that you get to see the real Frank and, you know, like I said, one of the things he talks about on now, having retired, he said, I think we mentioned it with, with another athlete that we've done a podcast, but he says, I love the idea of uh, that I will train. I've retired from bodybuilding. But I'm going to train forever. I like training. I like how I look. Uh, and I will train for as long as I possibly can, even though I no longer could be. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah, so I'm going to touch a little bit on kidney health. 
um, in a little bit, but first let's get into his nutrition. So he, he believes in eating as much food as possible. If you're going to be a pro bodybuilder, you gotta, you gotta feed, you gotta feed your body. That's you're taking all this stuff. You gotta feed it. It's going to work much better if you do it that way, but he believes in a healthy and nutritious diet. So a typical breakfast that he eats when he's traveling for his competitions, he talks about this eggs, pancakes, meat, and juice. Seems like a typical East Canadian type of breakfast. You know, that'd be if I'm ever in Canada and, you know, I'm not a breakfast eater, but let's say I was in Canada, I was visiting and I was doing like a fishing trip or something in, in East Canada out in the middle of nowhere. And I stopped at a, a little cafe to have breakfast. This is what probably what they would serve eggs, pancakes, meat, and juice. Sounds like, sounds like East Canada, rural East Canada. That's, that's a classic breakfast. He's also big on egg omelets, burgers when he's on the road. Again, that's another staple of, of Canada. They probably have moose burgers up there. Um, <laughs> at home, he's a very good cook. He likes to experiment with different protein-based goods. I think having one kidney, I think he took nutrition a lot more seriously yes. um, his whole life. So he learned, hey, I got to cook my own food. So uh, some of the things, some of the ways he gets extra protein and enjoys some of the uh, more luxurious types of uh, foods, uh, protein muffins, protein pancakes, protein brownies are things that he talks about on his Instagram. He also adds protein to his eggs, to his uh, bananas, applesauce, and chocolate chips. So that would be something that would be a pretty healthy option versus going to the store and buying your own brownies or pancakes or muffins, making your own at home. Um, he isn't a fan of eating just chicken and rice every day. He likes to have fun with his foods and keeps things different. So really quick, I just want to touch on kidneys a little bit. Um, and this could save someone's life out there. Um, so when you get your, your kidneys tested, if you're concerned about what we, you know, what we talked about, about kidney health, you can always go and have them check to see, you know, if you have a kidney, a one kidney, two kidneys, if they're functioning correctly or whatever, it's probably a good idea. This way you don't get any surprises when you get older. And um, so there's two, two kind of tests. You have a urine-based test, which is ACR, and you have a blood, blood test, which checks your GFR. So with ACR, that's albumin in a to creatinine ratio. So your urine is going to be tested for that albumin. And what's going to happen is that's a type of protein. So it shouldn't be in, it should be in your blood, not your urine. So if you do piss out that protein, it means that your kidneys are having a hard time or not functioning as well as they should be to be able to filter your blood well enough. So that can be a red flag of kidney disease. So that's something you can test just by pissing in a cup if you don't want to get the blood test. Um, so you shouldn't be having that, 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 that protein in, in your urine. <clears throat> um, blah, blah, blah. So if you have three positive results over three months, you definitely have kidney disease and there's definitely something wrong there. The GFR, which is blood test, that's going to test for creatinine and creatinine comes from muscle tissue. So when your kidneys are damaged, they're going to have trouble removing that creatinine from your, from your blood. So that's what you would do. You test your blood work and see how much creatinine you have. 
And for me, like I've told you earlier in the podcast, over the past 20 years, I typically do have elevated creatinine, but a lot of that has to do with working out. When you work out, you break down muscle, you repair muscle. So that's going to kind of, kind of in, you know, be into this, into this number. Also being big, being muscular is going to be into this number. So if you take a couple of weeks off from the gym and go get tested, that will at least eliminate that false positive from working out. So it would probably be a good idea not to work out for like a week and then do a good, clean 24 hour fast, but hydrate going into your blood work just to see if this number is elevated, because if it's still elevated, then that, that, that's an, that could be an issue for sure. So you definitely want to work with your doctor on this. Uh, if you're concerned about your kidneys, mobster, uh, yeah, but you have something to jump in on this one? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say the same, Stephen. I actually have been given this advice back in the day. Uh, if you use creatine in any form, uh, the byproduct, the waste product of the unused portion of your creatine becomes creatinine, or creatinine, depends how you pronounce it. And this can give us, Steve said quite correctly, a false positive. The same thing will apply to a high protein diet. Again, for example, let's say that you go to the doctors in the morning, guys, but you had a really big sort of bacon, ham, whatever the hell high protein breakfast and but by the time that that's digested it's going to appear in your urine it's going to appear in your blood so you have to be thinking about that you go if 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 you fast even for 24 hours in the case of the diet and specifically when it comes to supplementing creatine the idea is i believe around four to five days steve so certainly the numbers that you suggested would work i would suggest a little bit less but you, they will give you false positives. Now, a single false positive, say, for example, in the case of creatinine, wouldn't be that much of an issue because obviously all the other numbers would be in range. And that's how this shit works. By the way, guys, make sure you check out Steve's uh, articles on blood tests and the threads that he's done on blood tests to get more information than we can put, than we can do and address in this podcast. But like, I'll go back to that again. A single false positive for one measure isn't an issue. And again, you can make sure it's discuss this stuff with the nurse or the doctor that's doing the blood test and giving you the results make sure you say oh don't so then it might be a case of you have to go back a week later steve says well hydrated you, you you haven't eaten anything since the night before in terms of protein and nutrition you get a blood test done in the morning you can always go eat straight after guys you're not going to pass out or anything like that and the same thing three four five days after creatine so that the results you do get are a true and proper indication of how you are health-wise. And that's what we're looking at, guys. There's no good going down there. You know, you've just had a dose of amino acids. You've had a massive, healthy, you know, protein-rich breakfast. You're taking 10 grams a day when you should only use five of creatine. And your levels are all over the place. You're dehydrated. You haven't drunk much that morning. The numbers are going to be skewed. And we do. We want you to have a proper test with proper results that give a true indication of exactly how healthy you are. Now, if your numbers are shit, then then you might need to address your diet. You might need to address your lifestyle. You might need to see if you've got any medical issues. But if they're skewed because of the things that we've talked about, well, then you've created a situation where you're not going to get a true picture of your values. Like I said, check out Steve's articles on this. They will specifically talk about blood tests, what to look for, how to analyze the results, and so on and so forth. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so I would do two weeks of no supplements, no, make sure no steroids are still in your system, no steroid esters, just clean, clean two weeks with nothing, and then do one week with no working out. 
Um, you can do also- some, yeah, you can do some jogging, some, some light, some light jogging, some walking in that week, but no weight training and no hard running where your muscles are being broke down and then do a nice right. fast going into it, but don't like dehydrate yourself. But here's the thing with it though. If you are um, eating protein, tons of protein every single day, day in and day out, it's not a false positive to, you know, it's, 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 that's your lifestyle. So, I mean, I would be concerned. I'd be like, wow, if you, you know, you're straining your kidneys day in and day out like that, that's, you know, that's not good. So I would be concerned for your, for your, the damage you're doing to your kidney. So it's important to do some fasting to do like a nice five, 10 day fast or do like a, a vegetarian fast where you're just consuming fruits and vegetables um, for, for a week or two every now and then, if you follow this insane bodybuilding diet of tons of tons of protein day in and day out, because that's going to strain your kidneys. And if you were to stop, you know, consuming meats and then go get your blood work and you, your blood work is fine, then go back to eating tons of meat every day and then straining your kidneys again. Is that really proving that, you know, you're not doing damage? No, you're still staying straining your kidneys and that will eventually catch up to you. So, you know, food for thought on that, like, let's say you get blood work and your kidneys aren't bad. And then you do two weeks of just fruits and vegetables and then, and don't hammer your body for like a week and then go get blood work and everything comes out clean. Hmm. Maybe that should tell you, maybe I should do this more often. So maybe three times a year do like a two week, you know, uh, just fruits and vegetables for two weeks or do a fast five, 10 day fast a couple times a year. That's what I do. And then that would kind of, that would kind of help balance things out. If you follow that crazy bodybuilding lifestyle. As Steve will agree with me here, guys, it's the big difference between uh, a blood test, as we're talking about, for and a urine test potentially, as we're talking about here for the healthy markers, and to see how you are in terms of your health, versus which we also discuss, and again, this is addressing Steve's articles, the difference between a pre, during, and post uh, cycle set of blood tests. So these are recommended more to see what your testosterone levels, what your cholesterol is like, whether your you know testosterone levels are in range when you start, where your testosterone levels and your LDLs, et cetera, et cetera, are during a cycle and how well you've recovered after a cycle. Those are completely different. And that's aimed at seeing about, you know, whether you're ready to start a steroid cycle, performance enhancing drug cycle, how you're responding during and how you respond after versus what we just discussed, which is essentially Let's like, it's like having a checkup, guys, a blood checkup. It's definitely between cycles, as long as time as possible, as well after a PCT as possible. And essentially, it's like, it's, if you like taking your car in to make sure the oil and the water and the hydraulics and all that stuff's ticking over, you're not running it at 200 miles an hour. You're not, you know, smashing the turbos. You're not trying to use nitrous or whatever else, which because it's so, you know, argument in terms of how it is when you're on performance on natural drugs when you're on cycle you'll just get in the an mot what we call over here is it okay to drive so what we and again like steve said just now this is a wear and tear issue so there are times in our life where we can push the envelope a little bit and these tend to be when we're younger but when we're older we can't carry on doing crazy stuff and a great example of that as i'm sure steve will agree uh, is quite simple when we were younger we could go out and drink all night and we could go to work the next day and we might have a little bit of a hangover, but we could function. 
and we could get our shit done and we could put a good solid day's work in. I'm of that age now, Steve, where just, just by being an old ass idiot, if I went out yesterday and smashed 10 pints of beer, like I might have been able to do once or twice when I was younger, there would be no damn way we'd be doing this podcast, never mind any kind of day's work or whatever else. It would just, it would just ruin me for days and it would take me so long to rehydrate, so long to get rid of the hangover. So what we're talking about here, guys, and that's just just age. That's just straightforward wear and tear. And that's not just because I lived or whatever else. That's probably true of every person my age. So the argument becomes the same. I mean, it comes down to we don't want to keep stressing the organs. And arguably, and I've talked about the aging process before, Steve, whether it's um, what you are on, on a calendar versus how your body measures. And they've done tests for this kind of thing, guys where they said, oh, because of the wear and tear, the body's 87, but he's actually on a calendar, he's only 60. Well, that means that they've pushed their body so hard that they've aged the body beyond what it should have been and beyond what it actually is. And, and that, that, that can come down to, you know, for example, uh, lung function, liver function, kidney function, your blood test results, you know, do, have you worn away your joints and all this kind of stuff. It's the reason why boxers can't get smashed on the face constantly. It's the reason why... If you've had concussion playing pro ball or, or, or again boxing, you know, you're only allowed to concussion a certain amount of times and anything above that is just risking stupid your brain damage, that kind of thing. So the same thing applies. We can only get away with abusing our bodies for so long and the body will only recover for so long. And then at some point it goes, no, no mass. And that's what's kind of happened here with Frank. Not necessarily we've abused it, although we're guessing that he might have done but literally, that is, I mean, he's, he's still only a young guy here, Steve. I mean, he's, what is he going to be? He's 40 something years of age at the most. And in the year to date, when we've had something like 39, I believe it might be slightly higher, named, in other words, known within the industry, but not people that we don't know, not buddies of buddies of buddies, three quarters, you know, three quarters away across the planet, but named professional or top amateur bodybuilders for various reasons that have passed away, let's not add Frank to that list. Let's not have him, you know, not do something and ruin what little health or whatever he's got. Like I said, he comes across really well. He, he comes across quite healthfully. So he's not someone who's you know, struggling with the dialysis, Steve. Uh, he's certainly still able to train. He's not uh, someone of jaundice or looks like he's lost, you know, 100 pounds or something like that. He's certainly downsized for sure. But he still has a, a, a freakiness. He still seems to have a, a vigor and, 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 and energy for life. And so I don't get the impression that he's someone that's terribly struggling with the dialysis, et cetera, et cetera. Other people, I've seen people having kidney dialysis when I've had the pleasure of being in hospital or visiting hospital to see other people. And you see the dialysis patients and some of them, they just look like death warmed up, Steve, you know, the kind of yellow looking skin and it's four hours on the machine. And that's kind of like the core part of their day and it's three times a week and all that kind of stuff. It's not an easy thing to do. Frank seems to be handling it real, real well. And again, that might come down to your genetics. But guys, girls, if you haven't got your genetics, who knows? So take that warning. Let's talk about what we think he's doing in terms of actual performance enhancing drugs. Uh, Steve, let's get on with that. So there's a picture going around on Reddit that shows a picture yeah. of Frank took of his meal that has a three cc syringe kind of you know under the plate so i'm not sure if that was something he did for marketing purposes as a joke or if he really made the mistake 
of not noticing that the syringe was in there. So, Mobster, what, what do you think on that? I just reminded the Steve. I, I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna say one thing or another, but I remember the very famous uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous type video that Jay Cutler did. Do you remember the seeing this? These images. There's three frames of it where he's going around his house. He's in the kitchen and he says, "Let's take a look in my fridge. Let's take a look in my freezer, whatever it is." And he opens up the door, and there are two yes, versions yes. of that video. You know the one I'm on about. There are amps, well, look like growth and some kind of test in one of the little trays on the inside of the door. And the other version of the video didn't have that. Everything else was the same. And it was one of those, I wasn't thinking when I filmed it, I better edit the fuck out of this video and insert another frame where I'm opening up the door. And there are no drugs visible because I wasn't thinking, I'm just so used to it, I hadn't got around it. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an inference that this may be the case. He might have been just having a, a joke with the guys. I mean, I get to that thing with it's it'd be the same with me, Steve. If I didn't have grandkids coming over from time to time, if I didn't have the occasional person that's coming to the house to talk to me about something or whatever else, uh, if it was just a girlfriend, if it was just my training buddies, then perhaps I would have drugs on the shelf. Perhaps I would have stuff on the table here in the office while we're doing this podcast because it's no big deal to me. I mean, I'm not using them all the time. I've, done, I've very rarely cycle, as you know. All the stuff that I put online is exactly how things are. Uh, and I might be more comfortable with having those things around. On the other hand, if we were doing videos of lifestyles from Richard Famous from my house, and I wanted to create a certain impression to my followers, then I would probably fucking put my drugs in a drawer and not have them on video, especially with regard to the social media side of things. And I've also touched on this stuff before, guys. There is arguably an, a responsibility for us in this podcast but the stuff that we do online, especially when we're taking a long-term view with regards to your health, we want you to perform. We don't have a problem with using performance enhancing drugs, but we want you to be healthy when you're doing it, or as healthy as you possibly can when you're stressing your body with training and nutrition and with PEDs. There comes a responsibility, and, it, and it's a long-term view, which I've discussed before, and it's thus. That if I become, for example, a very famous world-class wrestler, slash movie star, if I become a action hero star in the movies, if I'm in politics as a former bodybuilder, then it's my responsibility to talk to my audience. And my audience is potentially all of the American, all of the Canadian, or in my case, all of the British people. And that includes kids and teenagers and people who shouldn't be using performance arts and drugs. So I have to generalize and I have to say that my advice would then be don't use drugs. However, if I'm addressing a smaller percentage of population that trains, that aspires to compete and is competing, that potentially could win championships, win titles, win medals in sport, weightlifting, bodybuilding, strongman and whatever else, then I'm going to say use them responsibly. And that applies to Frank as well. So it probably wasn't a good idea, arguably, to have left this damn syringe out on the plate because trust me guys people analyze the fuck out of videos the fuck out of pictures on instagram on social media on youtube and if it's there someone will freeze frame it someone will screenshot it and it will end up on reddit <clears throat> it'll end up on facebook it'll end up on generation line video it'll end up somewhere and you don't want to put yourself in that situation so if you do nothing else look around the damn room before you shoot a video it's that kind of thing, Steve. I, I, I've been around guys where it was almost too casual and I've actually had to, uh, being in charge, that kind of personality type that I have, I've actually had to pull them back and say, listen, 
don't get slack with that kind of stuff. We're not going to be jabbing ourselves out in the yard at the gym as people walk past. I'm not having people walking up to us doing that kind of thing. And I don't want them to have that impression of us because it takes away from the work that you do in the gym and the training and nutrition and everything else. So there's that responsibility again. Like I said, we're, we're asking questions on the forum, guys. We're, we're talking in a moment. But Steve and I have been around this stuff for of decades, between us, decades. And so we take the long-term view and we want you to come back and be healthy five, 10 years. We want you as a forum member. We want to be able to help you for decades. We want to think about your situation now and think about where you'll be in 10 or 15, 20 years time. So that's the kind of attitude we have. So yeah, that probably not a good idea, even if he was joking, to have a free CC syringe under his plate for, for the Reddit users to get a good look at, Steve. And, uh, you know, in Canada too, uh, you know, steroids, much less stigmatized. So him when he was younger would have been no problem. I'm sure in Newfoundland, they got nothing better to do besides mm. fishing and hunting and bodybuilding. So no problem. I'm sure there's tons of steroid dealers at his gym that he worked out that he could get steroids. Um, so definitely he was all over them. Uh, when he moved to California, same thing, not hard to get in, in Southern California. Yeah. And I mean, it's probably easier to get steroids in Southern California than it is yeah. get other things in Southern California. So no problem. So we can, we can take a, a take, let's take a look at a cycle that he could have used ahead of his 2011 competitions when he, you know, did a terrific that year. So yes. one of the staples, uh, ECH 12 to 25, I use of HGH. I think he would have adjusted this number lower ahead of the competition. So he'd be running a much higher to kind of use the HGH and then kind of cut down the dose in half ahead of the competition. And then along with the HGH, you're using that much HGH, you got to use some insulin with it. You got to get that blood sugar down. So 10 to 15 IUs of insulin would have been uh, a good target per day total. So using that insulin to kind of take advantage. We talked about his breakfast earlier, that big breakfast, the eggs, the pancakes, you know, all that. And then those protein shakes and the protein muffins. Taking the insulin and then eating that would basically make the food, turn the food, you know, into super protein in your body. It uh, really shuttle in those nutrients. 1200 milligrams of testosterone a week and then reducing it to 500 milligrams ahead of the competition. I think that's a strategy guys, especially around that time we're doing just to kind of get a lower amount of testosterone in your body, less aromatization, less bloating, less estrogen conversion ahead of the competition, you want to lean out. And then of course, Trembolone, 1,000 milligrams a week, Trembolone, absolute killer on your kidneys, absolute killer. But this is what you got to do to compete against your peers. And for him to get, what was it, third or fourth place at the Toronto Pro, um, he got third place at the uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay Pro and then fourth at the Toronto Pro and then 16th at Mr. Olympia. Everybody ahead of you at Mr. Olympia is taking Trembolone. Everybody. And they're probably taking at least 1,000 milligrams of Trembolone. So 1,000 milligrams, is that's standard. So that's something he would have had to do. Uh, knowing he's doing this with, all, with just one kidney, knowing he had one kidney, that's mm. a sacrifice that he's making. You can make the argument whether that's dumb, whether it's stupid, or whether it's just, hey, you know, this is what I want to do. I've got all these followers on social media. I got to 
impress them or they're going to be disappointed in me, right? Maybe it's that peer pressure effect. I got to do it. And um, did he know that he was hurting his kidneys in the process? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't want to know. Maybe he wanted to stay ignorant. I don't know. But this, I'm just telling you, know, we're just telling you, this is what these guys are using at this level. So in all, and Mobster's going to finish out the cycle, in all, he's taken three grams of injectables. And then he's taking orals on top of it, along with HGH insulin and some other things. But Mobster, what else do you think he was running? Master on, I would think, would, would have been something for sure ahead of the competition. You agree? Yeah, I, I think so. And I'll tell you what that occurs to me here. In fact, his cycle is almost, almost, guys, moderate compared to some of the cycles we've seen. I, I mean, Steve just mentioned something about not wanting to know uh, if he was having an effect. And, of course, that, that echoes something we did in our recent emergency podcast, Steve, when you said Boston Lloyd wasn't getting tested because he didn't want to know if he was having damage. This is when he was doing his three and five grams a week. So there's an element of it. In fact, and as I say here, looking at the overall numbers here, He's actually slightly less, moderately, almost moderate by comparison to some of the cycles, especially the death cycles we talked about. And something else which occurs to me, Steve, and again, it might come down to his knowledge. And again, genetically, he's got the advantages that he might be able to deal with him slightly better, although arguably needing dialysis and uh, a, a um, replacement suggests otherwise. And that is that he might have, and, and arguably, if I was advising him and I said, you know, this is what you need to do. Let's do it for the shortest periods of time. So, for example, eight weeks instead of 16 weeks on the cycle. And so you say master and propionate, 1,000 milligrams, increasing to 1,500 milligrams ahead of a competition because we know, guys, it's a hardener. And again, it's genetically best. His diet would be on point. He's had nutrition kind of on point since school. So there's that. Winstrol, 150 milligrams a day. Same thing again to dry him out. To, to, to get out. I seem to remember, Steve, and I'm not sure if it was his quads, but there's a video that was doing around a few years ago, and it's a guy in a hotel room, and he's got his leg outstretched on the bed, and that's all you can see. You can see from about the mid-fire, past the knee, down to the ankle on the foot, and they're moving this tissue paper thin skin on their quad. And my, my memory, and I might be wrong on this, guys, says it was Frank. This, this was super thin and super crazy lean, Probably you want to be on stage right then and there, especially if your quads are looking like that. Uh, so, and Anavar, we're talking about 150 milligrams a day here, uh, just to keep the strength to enable him to train. One thing that I, I mean, there's two drugs here. Both of these would be incredibly risky, but I can see that at the time that we're talking about, especially 2011, at the date that we're talking about specifically, saying this is whether we thought he was at his peak when he did his best in competition, he was on the world stage there. I can see that someone like Frank might have used these drugs, hopefully in very, very small amounts. But to say that they are both stresses, and especially when you've got one kidney, DNP, which especially at that time was starting to rear its ugly head, and to a lesser degree, because it's still used now, but again, dehydrating, dehydration to bodybuilder type levels, show competition type levels, using diuretics, would be a risk factor in and of itself, Steve, never mind anything else. Something else as well, guys, and I actually made a note of this, excuse me, in my pre-show notes, is as regardless of his genetics, regardless of his PED cycle and everything else that we've talked about so far, I never saw Frank as a Mr. Olympia contender, not, not in a million years, Steve. 
he's one of those guys that we'd all have to look at, like, and, and his physique, especially those ungodly uh, forearms, if those quads are the ones that I'm thinking of, which are his, the idea that you could look like that as a bodybuilder is a massive inspiration, and we would aspire to look like that. But when you saw Frank up against top 10 Mr. Olympia-type physiques, you see that he doesn't have that look. He doesn't. I, mean, some, I was watching one of Nick's power strength videos. I think it might have been, might have been, might have been uh, Nick Trujillo's bodybuilding and bullshit. And I think, I think it was Nick's, actually. And he talks about guys lying about their body weight and lying about their height. And what, and what came across on one of those things, he says, was he says, if, if I remind you of the weights that several Mr. Olympias competed at, and he specifically mentioned Phil Heath, whose absolute best was probably 240 pounds versus Frank 255 and a 300 pounds off season. If you think about Arnold, probably his best team, let's say 74, 75 was only 225 pounds on stage and especially 74 probably looked better than 75 leaner and looked absolutely amazing and especially stood out amongst his, his, his uh, foes and his rivals. The same thing applies to Frank. You go, okay, there's Frank at his best in that year, probably weighing 255 pounds on stage at his eye, looking on his own, absolutely amazing. And he doesn't really have gaps per se, but he lacks that extra something that you need to be top 10, that you need to be top six, that you need to be top three. And, it, and that's the reason why he got 16. So even if he was doing this cycle, even with his ungodly genetics, even with that tissue paper thin skin and the veins sticking out, and he made forearms that probably two or three other, maybe uh, Lee Priest, possibly Dorian Yass, and one or two others from back in the day that would arguably uh, compare to, certainly of his generation and probably the best at that time, still would never, ever, ever be a Mr. Olympia. It just doesn't have that tiny little fraction of a percentage physique that's required to win. On his own, in a gym, he would be probably the best in the district all day long, Steve. He probably could get out of shape and still look amazing and, and still does, as I've said. He's, if he's dropped 20 pounds, if he's only using tiny amounts, if he's on TRT, he still looks damned amazing. He is still a genetic freak. He's still outstanding. But a Mr. Olympia contender? No. Not while I've got all in my ass. Never mind him. It just lacks that extra something. What do you think? You know, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, he he he's extremely just to get 16th at Mr. Olympia. That means you're number 16 that year, top 16 yeah. in the world. So yeah. what he accomplished to me was amazing on just one kidney. I'd be curious to see the guys that's finished 15 ahead of them. Did they do they have two kidneys or one kidney? Because he may have uh, I think he may have uh, been the most impressive one kidney bodybuilder of, of his era. Yeah. You know, I'd be curious time. to see how many, maybe <laughs> of all time as well, but uh, yeah, yeah. you know, who knows? The maybe, maybe Arnold only has one kidney. Who, I mean, who the hell knows, right? I mean, it's possible um, if you don't test it, but I mean, it's a really cool uh, podcast to do and he's brought light to this to a lot of us now i'm thinking hey you know maybe i only have one kidney mobster you're thinking hey maybe i only have who one knows? kidney who knows right 
So you you just mentioned something there, Steve. I mean, say I don't think he necessarily stands in front of you saying I've only got one kidney, whatever else. But guys, he's not hiding it because you can see the stent, the tube going into his chest through the t-shirts he's wearing. So he's not taking his top off and flexing his muscles in the mirror, but equally he's wearing a tight t-shirt a lot of the time or semi-tight t-shirt. So he's not hiding the fact that he's got this stent in his chest, the tube in his chest that connects to the machine when he's having dialysis. You can see it's there. It's just not discussed. It's just not a, a subject of conversation, but it's not hidden at the same time. And like Steve says, I mean, we could be as negative as we like in regards to you know, the health, the risk, et cetera, et cetera, but arguably, Steve's correct. I mean, to take it from that point of view, Steve's 100% correct. He's, he's the best one kidney bodybuilder that we, we, we think we know. There might be others, but the, the, the statistics that Steve mentioned earlier makes it unlikely, you know, the one in a thousand. So we'd have to know 999 other bodybuilders to find another athlete with, with one kidney, uh, specifically in bodybuilding, not, not, not necessarily in other sports. And again, genetically, that, that means if you went to a big school, there was someone there with one kidney. If you lived in a small town, there'll be two or three people with one kidney. So just to give you an idea, guys, of how these things, they're not incredibly rare, doesn't make them an alien or super freak or Superman, but equally, it's rare enough that it's only one in a thousand. Uh, and, and to have that and achieve the level of success that he did is fantastic. So Steve's 100% correct. Whether that held him back, arguably, I don't think so. I think it's genetically, he has a lot of pluses, but not enough pluses, regardless of the missing kidney, to, to uh, judge him as being a Mr. Olympia. So, I mean, we got, we've seen guys like this sometimes, and I'm not getting, having a go at Frank here, but we see people sometimes that come, they shine, they're amazing, and they disappear. And Dallas McCarver is an incredibly bad example because, of course, here's a person that they were talking about being a potential Mr. Olympia, and then he kind of, we think, did so much fucked up stupid stuff that he passed away. And then, you know, whether he choked to death, whether he had a heart attack, or whether it was the amount of PEDs in, in, in the proposed death cycle that was uh, touted at the time, uh, yeah, none of those things were good. I mean, so he had a pre-existing medical condition. In fact, Steve said something earlier on. Arnold Schwarzenegger had a pre-existing medical condition. The argument was that his dad had had the same issue with the heart that Arnold ended up with, that it was a pre-existing medical condition, genetically speaking, for other family members. And Arnold, at quite a high, uh, 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 something in his 60s, I believe, at the time, Steve, ended up having this, this surgery. And on the other hand, Arnold's done recent videos, and he still looks pretty damn good for a guy that's more or less 70 years of age. So, you know... Uh, then you go, right, well, then he was Mr. Olympia multiple times and Mr. Universe multiple times with a pre-existing genetic heart condition. So there is stuff out there, guys. And, and as Steve said earlier on, we don't know necessarily, unless we get these things diagnosed, unless we look at these things 100%, whether we have those risk factors I set ourselves. So Frank done incredibly well to get to where he has with that as, a, as an issue uh, was probably... Certainly that year, the only person on stage with one kidney. And as Steve says, that still makes him that year 16th best in the world. I mean, I, I think there's something like a thousand pros, Steve, or a thousand people that could arguably have a bodybuilding pro card, certainly in the year, because there are people across the world that are never going to compete at the Olympia that have a pro card. And as, I think you can probably find a list somewhere in the IFBB offices or the pro league offices or whatever with a thousand pros on it. And that particular year, he was 16th out of that thousand pros. And of course, that makes him 16th uh, out of everybody on the planet in terms of being 
a, an amazing bodybuilder. So I'm not going to take that away from him. But for me, again, I can't see his physique at his best, no matter what, as being that of one that would have been in the top three, top two, or, or number one in terms of Mr. Olympia. But that's not to knock him because that still puts him in a level of bodybuilder that I will never, ever, not when I was younger, not in between and not now, I've got close to, not, not, no one we know, uh, arguably, is of that kind of level, realistically. So, you know, I, I know professional bodies, but I know professional strength athletes, and Frank is at a level above and in a much, much smaller percentile when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, for my, my I'll, I'll let you go with a final thought, Stephen, and I'll jump back in with the, my final thoughts and the, dis, and, and the usual disclaimer. Yeah, please. Um, in my final thoughts are, guys, listen, um, this is a really good opportunity for you to take this podcast, get in touch with a good doctor, get your kidneys tested, and it might be a good idea also to get to check to see, hey, do you have one kidney? Do you have one functioning kidney? And this will kind of save you the trouble of later on in life, getting the surprise of, hey, guess what? Now you have to go on dialysis. So, um, you know, probably a good idea to get that checked, especially if you have good insurance. All right, Mobster, take it away. Yeah, so I've had the same, I was going to give the same kind of advice, Steve. I've been, I don't know if you have this in the States, but we certainly had it over here. That when I was, I think, you have like a post 40, post 50 checkup. Essentially, I think I was 44, 45, something like that. And they had me come down and they did my blood, they did my urine, they did my height, they did my weight and so on and so forth. And it was essentially like a, a checkup. Now, sometimes in the States, especially with medical insurance, it's a, it's a prerequisite, but it's done in a certain particular way. It's worth, if you guys are going to spend money training, if you're going to spend money on supplements, and you're certainly going to spend money on performance on house and drugs, then stick another couple of hundred away and have a full spectrum test. Get your heart, east, get an ECG, get your kidney, get your liver values, get your cholesterol levels, get everything checked, even if it's only once every few years. I think, as I said, I've had it uh, post 40 and I had uh, post 50. Here in the valleys, guys my age and older had a much higher, and again, I'm not from the valleys, but because they've got the mining background, 50 plus year old men were falling down dead at a disproportionate number compared to the rest of the UK. And it was because these guys my age had been down in the mines, breathed in that coal dust. You've got the same things in the States, Steve. And so the health markers for men of my generation were disproportionately bad because when they wasn't down the mines, when the mines closed, they were drinking, they, they weren't working, uh, their, their food, their diet was poor and so on and so forth. So the numbers were coming back and they had... I, I, it actually got mentioned during the test when I went there. I asked what the test was about. She said, A, because it's 50, and B, because of what I've just said. And uh, fortunately for me, regardless with training and, and performance-enhancing drug use and my nutrition and so on and so forth, all of my markers, apart from my body mass, came back as good, uh, which is nice to hear. It wasn't a full-spectrum test, Steve. It was a fairly simplistic blood test with the cholesterol in five minutes in the machine or whatever, whereas uh, a full-spectrum test would be better. And yeah, as I said, for me, because I hadn't worked in the mines, I'm far too tall, far too big. Because I hadn't been of that generation in this area, my markers were better than a lot of the fellas my age. But again, it's something like that that I highly recommend. The next time they ask me to come up, I'll be ready to go, no problems whatsoever. Get up there, get tested. And I'm the kind of guy that likes to ask questions about these tests when I'm there for the simple reason of doing these podcasts. Knowledge is power. So there you go, guys. That's our advice. 
it's a great, great podcast. Frank is an amazing athlete, uh, but you can learn, as we always say with these things, with the positives and, and the minuses. And then the minus here is the one kidney and stressing it. The positive is a genetic freak who loves to train, who, who, who still looks pretty damn amazing for a guy on dialysis, Steve, it has to be said. As always, guys, please note, we are not doctors and the opinions that we do these podcasts are hours and hours alone. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic. Our podcast is for informational purposes and entertainment only for the freedom of speech and the first amendment.